you have a prayer request, please share it with us so that we can pray for you. We don't stop until the prayers get answered. And beautifully, uh, we've seen so many answered in the affirmatively and sadly, some have netted with the person going home to the Lord. We say sadly, but I don't think they're sad. I think when somebody goes home to the Lord, I think they're pretty excited. I think they're pretty happy. And we as Christians can take consolation in that truth. You know, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We have that assurance. So we're not just looking into the future and seeing a blank wall or seeing a door. We look to the future as Christians who believe the book to know that there's something out there for us when we go home to be with the Lord. And we praise him for that. My sermon this morning is entitled The Law of Gleanings. How many have an idea what gleanings are? May I see your hand? Okay. I want to share that with you. I want to share some things you may not know and uh, give you a better understanding of this idea that the Lord planted uh, 5,000 years ago. The Old Testament Jews had a law for everything. It seems in America we have a law for everything. It seems almost any country has a law for just about everything. They got their basis covered. I thought I'd share some of the uh, things that the, uh, the Jewish people had in Israel. They, they, they had laws for citizenship, what it took to become a citizen, what borders meant. They had, uh, they had laws for ownership and treatment of slaves. You couldn't just take possession of somebody. There was a lot of laws. They had that wonderful law of taxation. Did they start it? I don't know, but it's gone wild. And then they have some military laws. One of my favorite laws of, uh, for the military is in Deuteronomy 24.5. And basically what it says is that a young man going into the military who's newly married does not have to serve for one year. In that one year, they would stay at home with their wife and get to know how to raise a family, how to build a marriage. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So they had, they had this wonderful family leave program long before we ever came up with it. So family leave is in your Bible, and it's 5,000 years old. And then they had criminal laws, which they enforced. Having a criminal law that you don't enforce, does not, it's not a law. If you don't enforce law, it's, it just makes people be more wild because they know they're going to get away with stuff. In Israel, back in those days, they did not get away with stuff. There were moral laws. There were property laws, domestic relations, estate law, contract law, religious law, uh, things that were foods that were forbidden. Uh, that there were sacred days spelled out like Passover. There were crimes against God. What would that be? Worship of idols. Blasphemy. There were sanitary laws in a day when there were no such things as toilets. They had sanitary laws. And then they had laws for social security and welfare. Let me give you some of the subsections of those laws. You'll be surprised. The treatment of widows and orphans came under those umbrella laws. How to treat your neighbor was a law. Now, you would think that would be in somebody's heart, how to treat their neighbor. They had uh, laws on how to care for the poor and the needy. And they had laws for how to, how to greet strangers and aliens. They had laws if you're an employer and if you're an employee. And finally, they had laws for the handicapped, the blind, the deaf, and the lame, how to protect them. 
Very interesting, the number of laws they had, and they were all people-directed. This morning, we zero in on one of the social welfare laws from which we can learn and apply much in 2013. Let's examine a law that God calls to each believer to be part of the solution to human need. This law of gleanings is one of the ways that God enabled us as human beings, people who had stuff, how to share that and encourage people who had nothing. The law of gleanings, gleanings was illustrated in the book of Ruth. Here's a background. Sometimes, sometimes shortly before 1000 BCE, a little family of Israelites moved to the land of Moab to escape a famine. Now we know if you've been studying Genesis with us, there's always a famine down there. There's always a problem when it doesn't rain. And these are desert dwellers, so it doesn't rain all that often. And when they couldn't supply uh, water from the rivers and the streams, famines would take place. Well, there was a famine that took place, and, and this family moves from, uh, from Israel to get to the place where they could eat. And then when they get there, tragedy strikes. The father and his two sons die, alone and penniless, his widowed, widow, Naomi, and her, her non-Jewish uh, daughter-in-law, also widowed, widowed, Ruth head back to Israel, believing the family had ended. So here they are. They've moved to Israel. They moved from Israel to escape the famine. They go someplace. They go as a family, and now the family is disassembled. The death has has really destroyed them. Ruth chapter two is our text, verses one to seven. Stand with me as I read Ruth chapter two, verses one to seven. And Naomi had a kinsman, a relative of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Amalek, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Boadites, said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her and her, uh, and she happened, uh, which is that word H-A-P, it happened that she was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Emelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Sounds familiar, right? Bethlehem. And said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. And then said Boaz unto his servant, what that was set over the reapers. Whose damsel is this? Who's this lady out in my fields? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried in a little house. You may be seated. The Hebrew word for gleanings is lawcat. And what it means is to gather, to pick up. Naomi and Ruth have been given permission to go into the fields and to gather food that will help them fight, over, uh, fight against salvation, uh, starvation. And why doesn't the farmer, why doesn't this farmer object? Why doesn't he see these women who he doesn't know roaming around his field. Why is he letting that happen? I mean, is he just a nice guy or is he operating with a bigger mandate? Well, it's the law of gleaning that says they're not stealing. 
They are allowed to be there. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Thy field neither shall, it, shall thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean of thy vineyard, neither shalt thou go gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. What was the law of gleanings? Shorthand, leave something for somebody else. Leave something for somebody else. What a way to live. It's not all yours, even though you bought the seed, even though you plowed the field, even though you planted the seed, you harvested the crop, you took all the risks, but it's not all yours. When it comes to finance and business, the Bible presents a picture of the whole and spiritually healthy person as more than being just a money-making machine. The life of the Christian is to be more than the blind, focused attempt to gain as much as you possibly can for yourself. And having gained that much, keep going. There's got to be room. Jesus says it this way. Matthew 4.4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have the right to enjoy the fruit of our labor, but with our right comes responsibility. This is what the world is, is trying to tackle. How do, we, how do we take care of those in need? And they keep going down the wrong track all the time, thinking that mandates and legalization is going to turn it to a place where we can actually take care of the poor and the needy. It becomes more and more of a, of a difficult task when we redefine the poor and the needy. Healthy people who can work and go to work. The Bible says if you want to eat, you've got to work. But the Bible says if you can't work, if you're crippled, if you're mentally not up for it, it's the responsibility of Christians to take care of you. We used to be the primary source of helping the, the hurting and helping those in need and helping the poor. But over the years, over the decades here in America, we've given that up and given it over to the government. It's done then dispassionately. When we can deliver food, we, we do it now in our congregation. We deliver meals. And when we do, we deliver them with love. And there's a certain compassion that comes from that. When the government hands it out, it's different. It's very different. 1 Corinthians 10.24 said, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's with wealth. So don't. it's not just about you. It's about us, all of us together. Our objective is not to reach for our own good alone, but for the good of others as well. According to the law of gleanings, the farmer wasn't to leave just the bad stuff. Okay, uh, pile all the, all the stuff that's bad. Pile all the stuff that's gone sour. Part, uh, pile all of that in one corner and let the poor and the needy go after that. No. What the farmer did was the, he left the very best for them. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they don't fight the deer anymore. They just let them eat from the, from the harvest. They let them eat what's, what's out in the field. They don't try to kill them off. Now, that could be a problem. And hunters are needed. But the Bible is very explicit that we try to give the best. According to the law of gleanings, um, portions of the best harvest were to be used. In today's business economy, that would be portion of the profits. 
a portion of the profits, not just for the shareholders, not just for the CEO, a portion of the profits for those in need. For Israel, this was a corporate thing. It wasn't extraordinary, it was ordinary. It wasn't something that somebody was doing above and beyond. This was something that somebody was doing because they cared. It was as much part of business for them as marketing and distribution. The spirit of the law of gleanings found in two Hebrew words up here on the, board, up here on the, on the screen, tzedakah and its root word tzedek. Tzedakah, not neil tzedakah. It's translated charity. It means to put your love in action. Tzedek means justice. It's moral rightness. It's fairness. It's not cheating. It's trying to do the best for your customer, trying to do the best for your neighbor, being a person of your word. When you stamp something as choice meat or prime meat, it is what it's supposed to be. When you put your produce out, the produce is supposed to be the very best for people to choose from. In practice, most Jews today carry out tzedakah by donating a portion of their income to charitable institutions or to a needy person they may encounter. Special acts of tzedakah are performed on significant days. For example, at a wedding, Jewish brides and bridegrooms would traditionally give to charity to symbolize the sacred character of marriage. They do that today. Remembering people at Passover, it's tradition for Jews to welcome hungry strangers and feed them at the table. Jean's mom, Sue Andreessen, she would do that as a matter of tradition too. She would invite people at holidays to come and eat. She'd find them on a subway, people who are in need. Yeah, on more and more occasion, when, when we'd go over to eat at, at uh, Sue's house, there was somebody there whom she just picked up who was hurting and in need. In Judaism at Passover, it's considered the obligation of every Jew to give food to two other people in an amount that would equal a meal for each. Did you know that? A responsibility to do that, built into the fabric of their belief system. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, nothing is really ours until we share it. What a mindset to have. What an idea to have in our head that it, our substance is more than we can handle. Our substance is more than just for us. As we go out to work, as we go out to do, we have a responsibility from the Lord to share. We're going to get into that in a minute. In Deuteronomy 15, there are five instructions to us on how to treat those in need. And I think it's beautiful. First of all, be aware of people in need. Truthfully, they're all around you. There have been times in this congregation, and there will be times right this minute, where there's somebody in this congregation sitting next to you who is a person in need. I'm not just thinking about finances. I'm thinking about hurt, thinking about pain, thinking about illness, I'm thinking about loneliness. Secondly, we're not to, turn, not to turn away from them. It's very hard to do on the streets of Manhattan when I used to work there when people would come up to you and beg, beg for, for money for a coffee. And I used to do that. I used to give them a dollar or whatever it was. And somebody said to me, they're just going to use it on drugs or alcohol. Well, what am I supposed to do? If they ask for coffee, say, fine, there's a couple of cafeterias. Let's go over there. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. 
And it was, you knew the legitimate ones because they were ready for a cup of coffee and you went with them. And the ones who weren't said, that's all right, I'll go, I'll, I'll get someplace else. So you are not supposed to turn away from people in need. It's hard to do. Thirdly, we're to give help in time of need. What can I do to help you? Now, for me, a lot of times when people come to me for help, they really want prayer. And when, I, when they ask for prayer, my response is, can we pray right now? Let's be immediate in our response. Fourth, we are to give cheerfully when we give of ourselves, not grudgingly. Not, why do I have to do this? Oy vey. Not, not another. Not another person in need. And fifth, we, are, we should expect to be blessed. When you do for others and you're in a funk, you will find out how quickly you can get out of that depressed state by helping somebody else. That's an experience I've had and you've probably had too. Helping another person can get you from thinking about yourself. You know, I had the blues because I had no shoes until I went on the street and saw a man who had no feet. All of a sudden, your problems get put into perspective when you realize the needs of other people. We're supposed to be a giving people. Christianity is supposed to be a giving faith. In an inner-city church soup kitchen, serving meals each day, the kitchen grew, uh, crew gathered to pray before the opening of the doors to face the hungry. Among the prayers lifted up was one elderly sister who simply prayed, Lord, we know you're coming through the line today. Help us to treat you real well. The Bible says that when you give to one of these, my brethren, you've given it on to me. In other words, that's Jesus standing there, accepting your charity, accepting your love, accepting your gift. And if we look at people who are in need that way and not get cynical, it's very easy in this day and age to get cynical about people. It's very easy to, get, to doubt every single charitable organization is doing what they're supposed to. We more or less expect a lot of these, a lot of these institutions and organizations to be crooked. Be careful where you send your money, but by the same token, when you do, give cheerfully. Don't be a skeptic. For the Christian, tzedakah is our language of love. We cannot consider living out our faith in Christ as simply saying words. The world doesn't care what we say until we show that we care. Doesn't care what we say. It only cares about what we show. Because that's the literal de declaration of our, of our feelings. When we do something, when we put our hands into, into motion and our feet into motion and our money into motion to help somebody. The world doesn't care what we say until we show that we care. We can't feel our obligation ends by giving out a tract or a Bible. William Booth of the Salvation Army said, it's impossible to comfort men's hearts with the love of God when their feet are perishing in the cold. See, the Lord cares about every aspect of your life. He's in for the whole person. He is here for every aspect of your life and ours. And as a result, our ministries, you, myself, we have to demonstrate that we're in to help the whole person. God uses our tithes and offerings, our gleanings, if you will, to do more to bring the gospel of Christ's truth and compassion to a hurting world than any one of us can do on our own. 
When we collectively come together and put an offering into the plate, when we share our tithes, one-tenth, and our offerings, extra, into these plates, we're, we're doing more together than any one of us can do as an individual. And that can make a difference to our community and our ministry. The work of this faith family is to reach our community with the saving gospel and the serving gospel. It's exemplified in our helping ministries. I mean, our busy bees and so many other things when we used to go down to Trenton with the angel tree and all of these things to reach out, to try and help. All of these are acts of Tzedekah which spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hungry, hurting world. By serving the poor, the hurting, the hungry, the disenfranchised, the prisoner, the brokenhearted, we serve Jesus Christ. And there are many ways to demonstrate his love. I, I love what Mother Teresa, who was a wonderful Christian woman in the truest sense of that word. Here's what she wrote. When I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me your cup to drink. She was talking about Jesus. Whatsoever you do in the least of these, my brethren, that you do unto me. Now enter the house of my father. When I am homeless, when I was homeless, you opened your doors. When I was naked, you gave me your coat. When I was weary, you helped me find rest. When I was anxious, you conned my fears. When I was little, you taught me to read. When I was lonely, you gave me your love. When I was in prison, you came to my cell. When on a sickbed, you cared for my needs. In a strange country, you made me feel at home. Seeking employment, you found me a job. Hurt in a battle, you bound up my wounds. Searching for kindness, you held out your hand. When I was black or Chinese or white, mocked and insulted, you carried my cross. When I was aged, you bothered to smile. When I was restless, you listened and cared. You saw me covered with spit and blood. You knew my features through, though grimy with sweat. When I was laughed at, you stood by my side. And when I was happy, you shared my joy. What a big responsibility we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? What a responsibility to share this kind of a heart with the people around us that people can feel that love, not just because they hear it, but because they see it lived out in the way we treat the stranger, the way we treat the hurt and the lonely. The spirit of the law of gleanings can be synthesized down to one verse, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You can't outgive the Lord. Can you say that with me? I can't outgive the Lord. I can't outgive the Lord. You can't. It's not possible. When you give of yourself to the Lord, He rewards that. People who never, never tithed, I've heard this, this account so many times, who decided to start tithing, and when they did, they came to me, and I've heard stories from other pastors who said when they started tithing, that's when their final financial troubles began to wash away. Give of yourself. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to your bosom. For with the same measure you use in measuring, you meet with all it shall be measured to you again. 
Don't be stingy with your love. Don't be stingy with your gifts, your talents, and your resources. Give. Give from the bottom of your heart. Give with compassion and love. Give with a sense of urgency. Reach out when you see somebody who looks like they're down and out. Ask them, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do? I'm not just talking about material things anymore. I'm talking about looking into the eyes of somebody who's hurting and ask them, what can I do to help? And if, and if that answer is pray for me, then do it. Do it there and do it every day because people are counting on you to be praying for them. When you tell them you're going to be praying for them, they're going to the bank with that promise. Let's pray. And so this morning, Father, we just pray to be used by you. Pray to be used to help people, hurting people, sad people, lonely people. This morning, Father, use us in a special way and then use us collectively as a church to minister to the needs of the people in our community. Help us, Father, to be a lighthouse on fire for Jesus so that when people come here, they will feel your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they will hear the words that will encourage them through this Christmas season. We pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to preaching the word and living the word. I bless my brothers and sisters, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.